Black Vault Sunday Report. I just interviewed Sherry Genova. She's the former MPP for Parkdale High Park. And uh, she's also a trailblazer in her own right. And we talked about the Doug Ford Greenbelt scandal. And what I found interesting is that she seems to think, and I'm not sure if I agree with her or not, and that's not saying that I know better or worse. She seems to think that there is a way uh, for regular people to fight against a system that is clearly rigged against us. And I actually found it kind of inspiring. And she kind of made me uh, feel like... She reminded me of when David Wallace talks about the 99% and about how, uh, you know, it's time for people who don't have skin in the corruption game to actually start doing something in order to change the system that we have and reelect people or force resignations and things like that. Uh, Also this week, uh, we talked a little bit about the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and how in Chicago, in a, in a suburb of Chicago called Barrington, there is a scandal sort of brewing, also a land scandal, which is interesting, where the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church had purchased uh, or tried to purchase a, a piece of land from the county in Cook County and turn it into a private worshiping area uh, along with a private school that sells liquor in inside the building the same, the same building that houses the private school and uh the mainstream media had had caught attention had, had decided to pay attention to the chicago scandal and now nbc news is talking about the plymouth brethren christian church i find that to be promising i'm not too excited i am i'm trying to keep it all together and I feel like uh, with with those two things happening at the same time, there might be some way that at least one of those two scandals or possibly both or possibly neither of them will reach a crescendo where people can start paying attention to the corrupt officials or in the case of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, the uh, the religious cult that corrupts politics and start to chip away at the power that they have. And with me tonight to discuss this is former political fixer turned whistleblower, and his name is David Wallace. David, how are you, buddy? Can't complain. uh, At the beach on a beautiful day with the family. Glad to be here. You do have beach hair. You look like you look like an extra from Baywatch right now. (laughs) And I'm proud of you. Um, Okay, so... I wanted you, you're on every Sunday now for the Black Vault Sunday Report, and I am hopeful that uh, since the last time we talked to you, are there any other insights that you have gleaned? And if so, specifically, what are they regarding all of the developments in the Doug Ford Greenbelt scandal, including Mr. X, including uh, the man known as Phoenix Kiss, and what their roles were? I heard he's a fixer. Can you give us a little bit of background of the things that you have found out about that? Absolutely. Um, Press Progress about a year and a half ago came out with a nice story about uh, Doug Ford and Frank Cleese, uh, Corey Welton, and a few other merry men in uh, 
Premier Porky Pig's uh, cabinet and the back channels that I had built in by introducing them to some diplomatic staff from the Russian Federation. Things were moving along just swimmingly. Uh, and then when I stepped out, things kind of fell apart. And inevitably what happens when a useful idiot such as Doug Ford and his uh, people, the Doug, uh, the, the Dean Frenches and people of that the world step in, uh, they pick up with, uh, you know, uh, flashy uh, bottom of the barrel facilitators like uh, these gentlemen who have poked their heads up. These are conduits to organized crime, uh, bikers, low-level mafia. It's a free-for-all and uh, should show Ontario how out of control things have become. What? Why is the picture that I'm showing here significant where Frank Lees is standing beside Mr. X, which I, I is his name John Mutton? Is that the name? I believe so, yeah. Apparently it was some Bentex mayor from someplace. Uh, small potatoes, a bridge to, to bikers mostly, outlaw biker gangs, uh, drug dealers, things of that nature. He fits right in with Ford. Why are we still sort of um, wondering whether or not the RCMP is going to press charges? What Are you confident, and I asked the same question to Sherry DeNovo a couple hours ago, are you confident that the RCMP is going to conduct a robust investigation into everything that's going on? Absolutely. So that the compromised personnel in place can ensure that they get their cut of the profits. We have to stop fooling ourselves into believing that our law enforcement is independent and uh, impartial. Unfortunately, at this stage, the RCMP and the Toronto Police Service, the OPP, um, all of the policing agencies in the province of Alberta, these are the de facto partners of the developers, the organized crime, the biker gangs, and these uh, criminals posing as politicians. There will be no investigations of any substance, and there will be nothing handed down unless the public demands it. Let, let me ask you a question. We talked off air about certain developers that um, you don't feel comfortable naming on air, and I won't name them either. But why is it that in 2023, when it comes to a scandal and a story like this, what does it say about our politics, about our media, about our society in general, where even people like us, who usually throw caution to the wind, are afraid to mention some of these businessmen by name? Why are we afraid to say them, say their names? Well, we're afraid because we'll end up dead. Our loved ones will end up beaten or raped or, or otherwise injured. These are very vicious street thugs. That's what they are. You'll look in the Klondike papers. You'll see the meetings that I had with these very developers in Vaughan, the ones who paid for my transportation to and from their offices. Right along the time uh, Patrick Brown was uh, going to be gifted Brampton to keep his mouth shut and to abandon the fight. Uh, the same situation is people like uh, Del Duca and uh, Horvath who are given their own fiefdoms in places like Hamilton. This is a corrupt system. People are afraid because the policing agencies that are there to protect the general public are the partners of these criminals. There is nothing independent. Um, I'm not talking again about the, 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 the rank and file of these policing agencies. What we're talking about it's the brass that have cut their own political deals. Think of Taverner at the OPP, fixers for crime families. Um, so that's why we're afraid, and it's bullshit. Pardon my language, but it's time that the general public stand up and call a spade a spade and stamp out this correction. If we're waiting for policing agencies 
to conduct an, inf- uh, an investigation. How's that one in Alberta working out for Jason Kenney and the identity theft? It's time to forget about the police. It's time to forget about these people coming to your aid. Nobody's coming. If you're going to get something done, people of Ontario, people of Canada, you're going to have to do it yourselves now. But but if police are beholden to organized crime and if politicians are beholden to organized crime, what is a regular citizen going to do? Well, it's very simple. As I said before, the MPPs, the MPs, that's the power base. The people need to go to their MPPs and their MPs and demand Doug Ford's resignation. Because when these people believe that their free ride is over, they'll step on the gas and get rid of the fat bastard themselves. That's how you start. Number two, if you get Ford out, you get these people out, Instead of just calling for a liberal or an NDP to take the place of the thief that just left so they can set up their own scam, we need to have citizens come forward. We need people from these communities that are affected to stand up and take the oath of public office and run and clean up the goddamn trash. Without that, we are screwed because without that power, we can't remove the policing and the judiciary that is backstopping this egregious crime. Um, and then before we pivot away to Pierre Polyev, uh, what is, who is Phoenix Kiss that you, that you know of, and what is his connection to the Greenbelt scandal? Um, I just want to preface this by saying that, um, there is a possibility that I will be interviewing him. I've, I've spoken to him, uh, yesterday and it looks like Tuesday night, uh, I'm supposed to interview him. What is what is a guy like that? What is his role in this? And and why are we seeing his name in print when normally when we have a situation like this, we don't normally see the fixer's name in print. What is different about this situation where we see his name in print? This guy's no fixer. I mean, look, he's a flash guy from what I've heard. I don't know this man from what I've heard. He's a low-level guy who's friendly with strip club owners and crackheads and crack dealers, and he fits right in with Ford Nation. Somehow they let people like this in, and this is why we end up with this rancid stew of corruption where things go out of control. Real professionals keep things under wraps. There are no professional thieves in Doug Ford's cabinet. The problem is it's become so brazen that, you know, Strip club knockoffs like uh, Mr. Kiss or Ear Hair seem to pop up. It's uh, Look, I've spent the last two years pulling every card I got to shake every tree and burn these fuckers to the ground. And the stuff that's been coming out the last two years is because of that. You see people like Jordan Roberts on Twitter and other insiders who have had enough who have also started burning their little houses down. And we're not going to stop until it's a three-fire alarm. Um, so is, is Phoenix Kiss sort of like the Sandro Lisi of this situation? Do you remember Sandro Lisi? I do remember Sandro Lisi. I got to be honest with you. I know every rat in the closet and I had never heard of this guy. Never, ever. Some people say he doesn't even exist. You know, I've been Facebook friends with him for about 10 years. Uh, and, uh, I've contacted a couple people and he does exist. Uh, he's gone to a friend of mine. He went to a bunch of his events uh, back like five, seven years ago or something like that. Um, he's described as like a party guy, you know, um, friendly, but kind of douchey or something, you know, like, and, 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 you know, the two people that I spoke with that have met him personally, 
you know, just said he was just sort of like a character, but nothing, you know, nothing really stood out. Wouldn't surprise me. Unfortunately, there's so much criminality inside that cabinet that a friend of a friend and those type of friends have friends like Mr. Kiss, I suppose. I, I, I just uh, it's an embarrassment to Ontario that we're getting uh, soprano knockoffs on the front page of newspapers. It's a pretty goddamn sore state. Yeah, these are the guys. These aren't even Soprano knockoff. They, these are the guys that get whacked in the parking lots on a whim by a Soprano knockoff. Right? Absolutely. Like um, okay, let's pivot here. Um, in, out of Chicago, in the suburb of Barrington and Cook County, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, um, not used to this, but they were uh, the recipients of protests and um, mainstream media outlets, complete with helicopters, that were flying over the gymnasium where they had to hold their council meeting because there were too many residents that showed up to protest against the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church purchasing a plot of land in a Chicago suburb. And it started to get me thinking about uh, everything that's happening in Canadian politics, uh, not just with the Green Belt, but with the one thing that we don't talk about all that much, which is the connection between Pierre Polyev and the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Can you please inform our audience as to what those connections are? Absolutely. Uh, Pierre Polyev has been, since he started in politics, tied to the hip of one Gerald Chapur, a uh, partner at Miller Thompson. Gerald Chapur is the most dangerous right-wing operative in Canada, and he's moving up the ranks in North America. Uh, Gerald Chapur is a facilitator. He is also the man that is with Stephen Harper, been the architect of Pierre's rise. Pierre is intricately tied to the Plymouth Brethren because the Plymouth Brethren are the largest client of Gerald Chapur. Um, they are a religious organization in name only. What they are is an extreme right wing terrorist organization that uses the cover of religion as a money laundering facility to bring cash forward in an underhanded black bag manner, which finances sniper attacks against progressive movements in this country and the United States of America. Gerald Chapur has worked with people like Mr. Cruz, Ted Cruz, an Alberta connection, a Canadian boy, by the way, uh, who passes himself as an American Texan uh, and a Republican. What he is, is a fascist. These are fascist individuals we're all part of Stephen Harper's IDU. And that's a fact because I worked for them. So what is Pierre Polyev's uh, intimate connections with uh, with the cult? Because Gerald Shapur is the general counsel for the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Absolutely. Are there, are there any other connections that Polyev has with this cult? Well, I'll give you an example. Look at the client list that I had when I was in Alberta. The former attorney general or solicitor general, whatever you can call him, thief in charge, Jonathan Dennis. Uh, Alan Hallman. Coincidentally, all great friends and partners of Mr. Chapur. I understand that there was a woman involved in the Sean Chu sexual allegations who was recently charged with extortion. And my bet is that she didn't extort anybody. I don't know the woman. I don't know the details of the case intimately, but I do know enough I know that the where woman. there's smoke, there's fires. You do. Yeah. But this is an example of the judiciary in Alberta being bent to the will of these criminals. Pierre Polyev is partners with Mr. Jonathan Dennis. Mr. Jonathan Dennis works hand in glove over cocktails at Earl's in Alberta, in Calgary. Pierre Polyev knows every step of the operation. 
every step. And he is nothing more than a lap dog for Gerald Jabor and Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper is right now vying to become prime minister of Canada once again. He's doing it under the guise of Pierre Polyev, but it is Stephen Harper and make no mistake. So do you think that, so Stephen Harper behind the scenes reminds me a little bit of the way that and a lot of people don't really understand this. The way that Brian Mulroney still is amazingly powerful for a man his age and for a man who's been out of office for so long. Stephen Harper is another one of those guys, isn't he? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, and, you know, you've seen the emails from Mr. Mulroney yeah. in the Klondike papers. Brian Mulroney ordered the rub out of Patrick Brown in, yeah. in conjunction with his partners overseas. And there are a myriad of reasons about it. Read Patrick Brown's book. He'll talk about his little hotel meeting with Mr. Mulroney. Yeah. Um, Brian wanted to shoehorn his idiot daughter into the leadership. All the plans were set and it was going to go swimmingly until she opened her mouth. Then the jig was up. Doug Ford was a compromised candidate for the criminals. He was perfect for the job, but he's gotten a little too reckless because the professionals that were once affiliated with his regime during the first reign before his second election, they've left ship. Uh, people like Dean French, well, a, well, a, a very uh, uh, colorful character, he knew how to keep a lid on things to a degree. Unfortunately, he couldn't resist giving himself a patronage appointment or his friends. So the wheels started to come off, and now independent media and the public are starting to notice things thanks to shows like yourself. Well, I don't know how many people are watching this show, um, but we try our best to at least give what we think is the type of information that people can use in order to make decisions about what they want to see in government. Um, along that line, you and I, just to take a step back from these two stories for a second, uh, you and I are, uh, we'd like to announce anyways that David and I are going to be, uh, have started recording um, a podcast series uh, that takes the major stories out of the Klondike papers and a couple of other stories as well. Uh, we're going to, we're going to produce, uh, we've started recording a pod series that um, if you guys remember last year, Jesse Brown did uh, uh, a pod series on David called Radfucker. It was a good series. Uh, it was the most popular podcast last year. However, it didn't really even scratch the surface of what is in the Klondike papers. And not only that, um, but it did kind of take a lot of the stuff that you and I worked on and uh, Jesse Brown kind of reclaimed it for his own. And that's fine. Whatever. That That's part for the course. Our pod series is going to be about 100 times more powerful in the sense that you and I are working closely together. You and Jesse Brown only met once or twice. Uh, you guys don't know each other. Jesse Brown wanted to seem impartial and everything. And I kind of... I feel like the the work might have been impacted a little bit. Like I said, again, it was a good series. I'm not trying to take anything away from Radfucker. But if you like Radfucker, you're going to fucking love what we have in store for you. Because it takes Radfucker, it injects it with speedballs, and then it makes it flop about a half ounce of MDMA. And then you are going to see what really happens in the scenes. And to see very uncut version of what political fixing is really like. It's not going to be a reporter's impartial view of a fixer that they're not sure is legitimate or not, which is what Jesse Brown's kind of uh, pod series was. And again, I'm not saying it wasn't good. It was entertaining. 
But ours is going to be a little bit, not a little bit, but a lot more cutthroat, a lot more specific, a lot more daring. And I want to get your feelings uh, because uh, on the pod series that, that we're about to release, probably on, on Halloween, I want to know what it's like to be a political fixer. And the only one that I can think of in memory in the United States or Canada who has decided to open up his closet and then throw all of the skeletons onto the internet, which I've never seen a political fixer do before. How does it make you feel? Is it therapeutic? Did you need to do it? Did you feel guilty? Like, what are the motivations for doing this for you? Oh, there was a couple of motivations. Number one, did I feel guilty? I mean, things got out of control. Before it was a free market, all politicians had the same level of corruption and stink on them. And it was uh, just normal course of business, but it's become it's become egregious. It's out of control. And the 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 Richard Marsh situation was really what tipped the scales for me. I mean, finding somebody is one thing. That's what I do. It's why the Sherman family hired me. It's why Tom Clatt, the lead investigator in Greenspan, hired me. I'm not making claims. I can't back up. It's all in the papers, the bank transfers, the emails. The reason is because I'm good at finding things. I found Mr. Marsh, and once I found out that not only was he a whistleblower, that he had never harmed anybody in his life, and that they were, by uh, at least in my opinion, and I'll be very clear about that, all signs given to me, was they intended Mr. Marsh great harm, if not death. That really tipped the scales. And uh, when I stood up for him and myself and Nathan Jacobson removed him from the situation and put him overseas, um, we thought he was safe, but that's when they started coming after me. They got me to Alberta and made it very clear to me that I wouldn't be paid anything I was owed unless I gave up Mr. Marsh. Fuck you. Time to go to war, and I'm going to bring down this whole playhouse because these people haven't seen anything yet. Anything. And I promise you, Mr. Jonathan Sherman, and I'm at Adam Paul, and I know you'll be watching. And like I told that reject crew IDF idiots that you had in that hotel room in Vienna, I'm going to close this out because we both know exactly what happened and the tps they're not going to help because they already helped enough when they secured the scene for mr clatt and the other former tps cops who helped you kill your parents but we're going to fix it up and we are going to get to the bottom of shit i may not have much time left but i promise you everybody's going to be seeing in crystal clear 4k vision when this is done that was david wallace endangering my life here on black Ball. No, I say that because I just had a Lachlan Cross moment. Every time you're on the Dean Blundell show, Lachlan Cross sits there and he's complete. He's like holding his head and he's he's like, there are so many things that you just said in the last 60 seconds that, first of all, half of the audience doesn't understand. And um, second of all, the half that do are probably like, oh, my God, James is going to have to go into hiding now. We're talking about the Sherman murders. Um, let's 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 leave out the details. Let's not expand on the details that you just gave. But part of our pod series is going to be uh, a never before seen angle of the Klondike Papers, complete with receipts, with recordings, with, with recordings with from the recording. people involved. That's right, with recordings and receipts. And we've been sitting on this for about a year and a half, and we've been talking about this behind the scenes. Honestly, guys. If you really want to know the truth, it is very difficult to come to a decision to release stuff like this when you're a guy like David or a guy like me. Like, listen, I'm reporting on cults. 
Uh, David is refuting cults who are paying him to kidnap people. You know, we're we're trying to deliver news and and current events in a way that lifts the curtain. Unfortunately, behind that curtain are cults and mafias and intelligence people and private mercenaries and all of these things. And eventually you get to the point where you're just like, should we just say fuck it and do it? And and, and trust me, we're not Alex Jones. We're we're not we're not trying to to just stir the pot uh, to make money. Trust me, if I was making money, I wouldn't be wearing a T-shirt. I wouldn't be like, you know, uh, there, there'd be a lot of things happening for David and myself that wouldn't be happening right now if we were if we were making money. If I'd still be fixing. Yeah, you'd still be fixing this podcast. To be perfectly honest with you might do really well it's still not going to pay us the type of money that we think we would need in order to be protected from these people that we're trying to expose why are we doing it i don't really fucking know <laughs> to be honest with you i i'm not sure what my motivation is other than if if someone is going to do me harm because i'm trying to tell the truth I'd rather them. I'd rather. I'd, I'd rather be uh, have harm done to me because of truth telling, than some other fucking reason. And 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 stories like the Sherman murders has been going on for what? What is it? Six years now. Yeah, it's been since Christmas 2017. And the reason I'm still doing it is this: because I got to look at my kids every day, and I got to look at other people's kids. And if we don't do something now, our kids are going to grow up in a world that's run by organized crime forever. And if we don't stand up and do something now, we're going to fall. And it's my business and it's everybody else's business. And if we step back and we walk in and shut the doors and say, my family's safe, fuck the rest of the world, what's going to happen? What kind of people are we? We're here to take back Canada. And that's what we have to do. Really take it back for the people, for the people, for our kids. It, it, is, it is kind of a, and I mean this sincerely, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's kind of a fucked up situation where um, the people standing up to try to expose uh, the corruption and, and 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 the crime that goes on behind the scenes in politics and media and corporations are people like you and I. You know, not I'm not trying to like say that you and I are awful people, but we are not heavies in this country. We are not powerful people in this country. Uh, we just happen to be good at digging up dirt. And happen to be good at getting ourselves dirty sometimes in order to figure out what the fuck is going on. And I'm just a little bit tired of nibbling the edges of these stories. And uh, I'm really thankful to be working with you on this. Uh, I think people are going to be completely fucking shocked when they find out what we know and what we're putting together. Uh, please also keep in mind that the good folks at Cryer Media and the attorneys that we have are going to go through all of these things with a fine tooth comb <clears throat> and they're going to be able to give it the green light and we are going to give you things and stories that no other outlet is going to give you and i'm not usually got to promote myself like this and, and the work i'm about to do like this i'm usually pretty casual about this shit, but but this is a little bit different and uh and i think uh, you know uh, maybe maybe i should just say thank you because uh, you're kind of the straw that stirs the drink in all this. So I, you know, I appreciate the work that you've done and the work that we're about to do together. That's when you say something. Well, I appreciate it and um, let's do it. 
So I'm going to sign off now and uh, allow you to do the wraparound, but let's hit this hard and let's make it count. We're only going to get one shot at this. Canada, we're screaming in your ear. Let's wake up and take out the garbage. Let's do it. And also, um, if it doesn't work out with the pod series, uh, I think we should go and, and, and try you out. You can go with Douglas, who's a Saddam Hussein impersonator, and we can do a uh, satire of where are they now, and you can be Fabio uh, retired in the park trying to figure out how to get a hair shampoo sponsor. So, David Wallace, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Dolly ho. Uh, there's nothing better than when you go on like a two-minute spiel kind of rant that you think is powerful, and then you throw it to a person, and they just sit there for 20 seconds. <laughs> they say nothing. Um, but seriously, everybody, like, this is uh, this pod series coming up. Uh, I already have detectives following me around here and there, and I have since last year, since uh, I started reporting on the cult. When I was in Cremor, I had to file a police report. I have this one truck that keeps on going by my house like every other day at like five kilometers an hour. It just slowly goes by. And now I just wave to him. I feel like uh, Robert De Niro in Goodfellas when uh, when him and Ray Liotta are in the diner and they get out of the diner and uh, and there's two FBI guys sleeping in the car and he goes up to them and he knocks on the window and he goes, come on, fuckos, let's go for a ride and gets them to follow him. I feel like that sometimes. Uh, it's really, it's kind of surreal. Like you don't want to, first of all, you don't want to think that you're paranoid and you're imagining things. And then when you realize you're not, cause you know, you talk to people like David, I talked to Nathan Jacobson. I have now my own investigator, uh, that I turned to because I, I, I needed one, uh, not just for the work that I'm doing, but even for my ex, like, I honestly needed a private investigator to keep, uh, to keep tabs on people who were attempting to keep tabs on me. And this pod series, if my life wasn't turned upside down before, my life is about to get a lot crazier uh, after this comes out. So we're looking at a Halloween release date. We've already started recording. And uh, we haven't come up with a title yet, but it's going to include a lot of the stories in the Klondike papers. And just to give you a little um, little teaser, we're also I, I'm also including a chapter, which is David Wallace's origin stories. You know how like comic book characters have their origin stories? We are going to go back to when David Wallace was like a plucky 19, 20 year old, uh, you know, getting handed uh, paper bags full of money to drive across the border before they ever looked at licenses, uh, you know, in the 80s or whatever, and hand money to a sitting elected official in New York and then drive back. And and how that was like his first gig. And how the, and, and, and what, how does one become a fixer? It's not a job you can apply for. You, you have a certain skill set, and that skill set translates into uh, becoming a good fixer, but you need to be noticed by somebody. Uh, you know, you need to be tapped on the shoulder. And then if you do good work for that person, they pass you off, and then you get known in parties. Then you get known in strategist circles and operative circles. The origin story of Ratfucker is going to be fucking mind-blowing to you guys. It's, it's going to be crazy. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, tomorrow on the show, by the way, we have Darren Shady, who is a guy I've known since like grade six. He is a real life Fast and the Furious kind of guy. He's a race car designer and engine builder, and he has won a ton of competitions uh, with his with his automobile. I wonder if I have a picture on hand here, because if I do, it's going to be dope. 
And I do not. But I will tomorrow, I promise. Um, no, I don't. That's too bad. Um, anyways, Darren Shady will be here. He, dude, when you see this guy's cars, if you're a car person, you like race cars, you like Fast and the Furious, you're going to really enjoy um, what David Wall, or sorry, what Darren Shady has to offer. And then on Tuesday, and this is tentative, Phoenix Kiss, the man implicated in the Greenbelt scandal who uh, apparently facilitated a $1 million commission on behalf of Mr. X in the Greenbelt development deal. Phoenix Kiss has agreed to come on the show. Now, let me just say for the record, because I know lawyers exist, <laughs> because I know that uh, there is a very good chance that Phoenix Kiss is going to talk to a lawyer between now and Tuesday. I'm not holding my breath. I, it, it's right now, I would say like a 60-40 that he will come on the show. Um, but if we want an insight, or at least if we want to watch a guy <clears throat> squirm for a half hour, 45 minutes, please join us on Tuesday because Phoenix Kiss has said that he's going to be here. So until then... We'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black Ball. Black 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 Ball. Black 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 Ball. Black 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 Ball. Black 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 Ball. Black 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 Ball. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.